Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Western Focus Podcast. I'm your host, Steven Meister. With me is my co-host, Cobalt. The regular seasons are finally underway for now both the LEC and the LCS. If you were wondering where we were last week, we decided to wait until the LCS got started to get both leagues covered at the same time. We didn't want to stagger it with just an LEC week all alone, and then the LCS had, would have had nothing to talk about except for, I guess, maybe previewing some stuff. But now we're all together on the same page. LEC has a couple weeks done. LCS just got their first week done, and we're here to give you some of the highlights from both leagues, from our thoughts and opinions on watching these games. Cobalt, how was the first couple weeks of the LEC for you? The LEC has been delivering, for sure. There's been a lot of the things have been kind of according to plan. There has been a few surprises sprinkled here and there, which is always fun to see. Don't want to have all my predictions go correct. The surprises are fun. And on the LCS side as well, you know, it's been only a single week so far, but the games have been fun to watch. It's just good to be back in the swing of things, seeing some games play out. Yeah, definitely some more surprises in the LEC than the LCS. And I think we covered that. Uh, pretty well in our previous episodes saying, you know, like the LCS seems like it's going to be relatively cut and dry. There's definitely some more clear tiers of teams and, and where certain teams will be much more likely to finish. And in some spots, whereas the LEC, there is a lot of room for movement. There has been a lot of room for movement already, as we've seen a majority of the games played in their opening I guess segment, whatever you'd want to call it, of the winter split going into the first couple of teams that would be eliminated in the next at the end of next week's games. So there will be a lot of action to be talking about in the LEC, whereas the LCS, it'll take us a little while to get ramped up. You know, it's just week one, only two games a week, eight teams, you know, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. The LCS will get, will get their moment to shine. LEC is going to be taking a lot of the spotlight in the early going because of that format, which is really cool. All of these games matter a ton. Teams are getting eliminated very early. And with that being said, we will be starting off this episode of the Western Focus podcast with the LEC Week 1 and Week 2 discussion. So you know the drill by now. We've had a few runs runs through of this already. Blue, take it away. You're in charge. Alrighty. So we're going to start off with the standings. Obviously, take a quick look at the how things have been going and where teams have positioned themselves. And you know, keep in mind, of course, that as we talk about things, it's not really going to be possible to cover everything. So each team has their own stories, their own nuance, but to avoid being here all day, we're going to be focusing on the key highlights. And starting off with the, the general things of how things have played out, I think the top half pretty much as expected most of the time. We've got SK, Team Heretics, Fnatic, G2 all up there. We saw that coming. Bottom half has the expected Mad Lions, Vitality, Giant X, and Rogue. But it is not for lack of surprise completely because we see BDS all the way up in first, where we both had them placed in the bottom half. And we have K Corp. Both of us thought they were going to be top four. I thought they were going to be top three. But they are in dead 10th going for that 0-9 record something that I don't think we've ever seen in the LEC and the opposite of a perfect split. And honestly, they're kind of looking like they might reach it. But starting on the positive side, I think that 
BDS, of course, as that uncontested first place. They have a record right now of five wins to one loss. But again, both Steve and I had them in the bottom half, though somewhere around the middle, I'd say. Either way, having them all the way up in first wasn't expected, I think, for either of us. And the the only kind of saving grace, I guess, is that I did mention that they overperformed last year outside of everyone's expectations and that they might do it again. And here they are doing just that. So very good to see that they've been performing this well, especially considering Crowny, that kind of controversial removal. But it's just impressive to me that no single player on this team is taking the spotlight. They've been very much working as a unit, building up towards that victory as a five-man squad. And yeah, they, they're finishing the, the end of week two here very, very strong. I think they're probably going to continue that. And we'll see whether they can continue the pace all the way up into when playoffs start in just a couple weeks. Yeah, I, th- I think I would probably highlight Adam a little bit more than maybe some of the other players. I think Ice coming in for Crowny, it, it doesn't really seem to have made too big of a difference. Like, I, th- I don't think Ice is really having to take over some of the games the way that Crowny uh, would do at times. But other than that, I, I, I would maybe highlight Adam a, a little bit more. I, it's been a lot of fun to, to watch him play uh, up there in top lane, have some good lane phases, and be able to really carry over and dominate some games. Um, I believe their only loss was the, the first uh, match that they played against G2, right? That's right, yep. Yeah, so other than that, they've, they've, they've played against... Uh, most of the teams by now they're five and one and they've they've looked really good basically through each one of those games it has been very much so a team effort nuke has had some really good performances shayo's been uh, having some decent uh performances as well being able to help enable kind of everyone at different points throughout the map um maybe it's just top lane bias giving adam a little bit more uh a credit but I've, i've really enjoyed watching him play probably the most out of anyone even though nuke has been uh, definitely a good surprise for me coming over there because we were both a little bit lower on him, even though going even into last year, him and Shayo as a rookie coming in, they did definitely play better than we were expecting them to. It just wasn't enough to like really you know carry them over into really competing for anything, going into Worlds. It wasn't like they were uh, standing out like super... Uh, super well in comparison to their LEC performances. They were definitely getting their 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 match handed to them at worlds but it looks like they've really taken some of that experience come back to europe um, and just look like a a much improved roster very much surprised to see them at the top of the table and i think the most important thing is that even if uh they're five and one it's that g2 isn't up there with them of course bds lost to g2 but you know the fact that g2 still found ways to lose two other games and have bds up there with only one loss is is a huge surprise Yeah, I mean, a little bit expected, if I'm being completely honest with you. It's very much G2 fashion to win their hard games. They've won all their hard games, and then they've lost to the two teams they really should have beaten, which are Rogue and Vitality. So kind of in G2 spirit, I don't think it's necessarily hurting their chances in the bigger picture, but those two were some stinkers. I I don't want to discount that fact. And then the other big good surprise, which, you know, for me was semi-expected, but if I'm being honest, I wasn't fully expecting this. Shout out to SK for being the only 3-0 team after week one. And then although week two didn't go quite as well, 
they've still shown they're very much a team to beat. That coordination has also been there, just like for BDS. They are tied for second place right now. It is a four-way tie, of course, but they're up there. And the things I was expecting to work have been working, in no small part thanks to Isma, this rookie player coming in and very much stepping up. More on that later, of course, but it, this this team has been a, a very cohesive unit, and I'm excited to see what this team can do as well. Yeah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I was going to get to Isma right away if you didn't get to him. You know, he, He's definitely looked very, very impressive with Niski. They, they've really seemed to have already like a good bit of chemistry and obviously that is kind of Niski's play style as we've talked about before in previous episodes where if there was going to be you know a strong point that you would expect it's that Niski can be able to come in and take a rookie jungler and give him that guidance and be with him around the map and and find those plays together and Niski has looked just as good as Isma the team obviously as you mentioned working pretty well for them for the most part had a little bit of a slower week last week but still very much excited to see them doing well you had them powering second I think I had them I'm pretty sure it was fifth it was either fourth or fifth but I'm pretty sure it was fifth and I just came in that low because of you know, again, that little bit of reasoning, we'll see if, you know, Isma really can adapt and get enabled by Niski as much as he has been. I was I was low on DOS, I was not necessarily low on Irrelevant, but I wasn't, like, really expecting a ton out of him. He's impressed for the most part. DOS, I think, has actually put in some pretty decent performances as well, not quite as consistent as some of the other guys, but I have found myself impressed by DOS at points as, as well, so that's been, I think, the probably the biggest improvement in my opinion as to why SK has been doing good is that those couple of guys that I wasn't really expecting as much out of have been able to step up and then you add that on top of Niski and, and uh, Isma being able to work well together and Exekick who I was talking about before in previous episodes saying how much I liked him I enjoyed watching him in Winter Split last year he's been doing super well as well I love seeing him play good he really seems like a standout AD carry in the league and this can definitely be a team that you know, we'll be up there fighting for, for those spots right now with the standings. It is very tight with them and three other teams at four and two with uh, Heretics, G2, and Fnatic. And then Mad Lions and Vitality aren't far behind them at three and three. So, again, a lot of, you know, potential for movement and changes in the standings and even going into the the best of series now, which is going to be a lot of fun as we'll get into that in a, in a couple of weeks going to be a ton of exciting matchups no matter how they end up falling and I'm very much excited to see SK go up against any of these teams because I feel like you really are going to get a good matchup for basically every single team except for I'm still not super sold on Giant X which I think is is fair to say you know they're they're two and four they're fighting with Rogue as maybe luckily hopefully being one of those last teams to kind of sneak in but other than that everyone from the BDS at the top and all the four and two teams, even Mad Lions have been a, a very nice surprise as well at three and three, expecting them to be 10th. They're going to be a fun team uh, to watch go into those best ofs as well, assuming they can hold on. For sure. But then we can't, of course, overlook the bad surprises as well, which I'm going to start off with Rogue. You know, again, both of us were expecting that they were probably going to be in the bottom half, but not nearly as bad as they have been looking. They've honestly been looking like a husk at just one in five. We were expecting not nearly anything like this. Like they've got no soul, no identity. 
we we said that Comp and Shigenda had to recover, but instead I feel they've sank even further than they were from last year. Larson, who's usually been this bastion of stability, is struggling to stay even. In that very first game, we saw an early play where he was out. He could have walked into the jungle, but for some reason he walked back in the lane and that got him killed. And Markun as well. He was a very aggressive player when he was with SK last year. There was that one Hallmark game where he played Elise against G2 and completely snowballed the game out of control. But now it feels like he's aimlessly wandering around, gets caught in random places, and just the main characteristic of this team is complete lack of proactivity. They just seem to react to what the enemy team is doing and fairly slowly at that getting caught. And it's just a matter of time, it feels like, until their nexus eventually explodes. So very much an underperformance from Rogue, I'd say. And we knew that that was going to kind of be their style. They generally have always been that team of, you know, we'll see if we can just get into the late game and pick some strong uh, hyper carries or at least uh, good late game scaling mages or whatever it might be for Larson, get comp uh, on another suitable uh, champion to fit that mold and just see if we can get to that point, you know, 35, 40 minutes in team fight. Hopefully we don't lose our lanes too badly, just try to go even and then we'll see if, you know, someone like Malron can make those really crazy proactive plays and find some advantages for us. If not, though, we can still, you know, just rely on sound team fighting. hopefully, especially when you have someone like Orowamne in the top lane who is, like, a really good person for that kind of style. I, I don't... Obviously, it's hard to say not being involved, but I do think that, you know, they probably are missing, you know, someone like Orowamne up there on the top lane instead of Shigenda, where... He's supposed to be more of a lane-dominant player, a guy who plays more carries, and sometimes he does have those good performances, like, oh, yeah, like, Sagenda, you know, he, he, he found a, a decent kill, and he's, he's got a good CS lead, he's, he's playing the lane fine, but it doesn't happen often enough, I think, to nearly justify what you were missing in someone like Odawamne, who is just a stable guy up there who you know what you're going to get out of, and he'll play those team fights really well and play a front-to-back super solidly. That is, you know... Again, I would say probably a good reason as to why they're struggling, but it's obviously not just that as you did a good job discussing, you know, Larson has not been up to his standards recently, and those those generally are pretty high standards, so even if he does make some mistakes, it's hard to live up to that, but it's even then it's been uncharacteristic mistakes out of him, and then most importantly, Segenda and Comp not being able to recover uh, their their forms comp especially as I I was talking about in the LEC rundown episode really was hoping to see him try to get back into championship form with Rogue but it does seem like that whatever they had back then and whatever basically like lightning in a bottle that they captured is gone and they're they're would probably be some changes you know one in five is definitely not where where they thought they would probably be would be i assume i have been decently uh impressed with zoelis i think he's been doing good uh in some instances but i think you know when the whole team around you is not doing good it's kind of hard to shine as a support um so he has kind of been on the wrong end of a lot of things but i, I still like what i'm seeing from him enough i just hope that he's not one of the guys that gets the short end of the stick for being on the team for such a short amount of time. There's not just a, a ton he can do in, in a situation like that. Yeah, I think that Zoelis has been relatively solid for what the expectations were as an individual player, but when the environment around you is crumbling as hard as it is, it's kind of hard for him to look at his peak when 
there's kind of nothing to support him. And you're right, it's a good call-out that this is kind of the rogue style where they might sacrifice the early game and just slowly ramp up, but they're ramping up to nothing. There's no end result, and that's kind of what what makes it feel like Rogue is, is such an empty team at this point. You can't fall too far behind, you know, and, and that's unfortunately what, what they're doing. Before they could get away with it, not fall that far back, and then they're in a good enough position where maybe something crazy happens if you have someone like Malrang who, ha- who had those moments, you know, or you could rely on some solid team fighting, and just now it's not showing up for them. But the very small silver lining for them, and it's, again, very small because of the fact that they are on the verge of elimination, is that K-Corp is doing even worse than them. As we mentioned before, they are at a steady 0-6, going on 0-9 potentially. They, of course, have that matchup coming up against Rogue, so we'll see who the worst team in the league truly is, but I'm... I'm not going to lie to you, as much as I bought into the K-Corp hype train a little bit, I'm enjoying the fact that the fans have been humbled, I think, sufficiently. At this point, I, I'm kind of starting to feel bad for them. I don't think they deserved quite the, the smashing they've gotten. But, you know, we've got, it like, every single part of this team, even more so than Rogue, has just been looking bad. Bo is face-checking bushes at Mach 20 on Lilia runs directly into four enemies that are sitting there. Upset had a solid week one, I'd say, but in week two, really only had two forms. Either A, he bases as an objective spawns and goes to push a side lane while his team dies somewhere else, or he approaches a fight late and from a terrible position, and his contribution to the whole fight is two autos, maybe a Varicelt, and then he runs away. Cabo shot in the top lane as well. He's been absolutely sending it in lane, gets solo killed, and then doesn't really recover later. Targamus actively griefs his team in so many bizarre ways. And then, ironically enough, I thought that Sokken would be the weakest link of this team coming into the season. But I think he's the only player that hasn't been terrible. Not that he's good, but he's just not terrible, at least. And, you know, especially after that Vitality game, it just seems like Yamato is setting them up for maximum success, these absolute draft kingdoms. But no matter what happens, it feels like K-Corp will find a way to int it away. They're just going to take a bad fight, position wrong, make a bad call, and it's just completely gone. And it's it's hard to point out any single issue, I think. Looking into the voice comms, it did seem like Bo and Upset were doing a lot of the valuable talking, especially Upset. He's asking good questions, calling out plays, sometimes even micromanaging his team, which you know, kind of depressing that he has to do that, like asking for wards or whatever it is in cases where it should be sort of obvious. But it's this team has been a disaster. And I think that's the most surprising thing that you mentioned is that, like, it really isn't just one person. Like, when we were talking about the, the potential of K-Corp, like, bombing, it was like, yeah, like, you know, maybe it is, like, you know, Seiken not being able to be up to an LCS caliber or LEC caliber mid laner yet you know Cabochard yeah he's not the best top laner in the LEC but he's not probably not going to be the reason really why you're losing uh, a lot of games just because that's not really the kind of impact that top lane has in professional play you're not really losing a lot of games because your top laner is not that great we thought I think pretty unanimously it would be because of Bo and that he's still you know, a wild animal that can't be tamed. And to some extent, that has been the case. But I feel like that even with that being said, 
a lot of what has come from Bo still, like, it's not as bad as what as what some of the other people are doing, especially Targamas, where in that Vitality game specifically, I feel like that really is going to be kind of like the standout game that everyone is going to look to when analyzing K-Corp and trying to figure out, like, you know, how are they doing so bad, you know? You can, you can look at every single game, obviously. They're 0-6. There's going to be plenty of stuff that you can pick out that's terrible, but... Targamus especially, like, he missed multiple engages uh, in that game. There was, there was this horrible fight at, at Red Buff. I believe it was in Casey's Jungle at, at, at Red Buff on the bottom side of the map, where it was, like, uh, VTO was trying to get on to Saken, and he couldn't kill Saken, and then uh, Karzy and Hilly came in, and Hilly missed an engage, and then Targamus dashed in, and he missed his engage, and then Targamus gets instantly deleted, and then finally, like, Cabochard comes down, and he actually finds a good ult on to, to Karzy and kills him, and then the rest of Casey's actually able to win the fight. But then not too long after that, you have Targamus again, who in that, I'd assume now probably infamous Maokai ult, down the mid lane, Targamus actively decides to jump backwards and behind his entire team as the only real tank option on the team, lets Bo, who was doing, I would say he was doing really pretty good at Lilia at that point in the game, just face tanks the ultimate then, VTO dashes in, charm, boom, he dies, rest of the team crumbles, and that's like the pivotal moment of the game where they fall. And and you, you can't be doing that as Targamus in that, at the very least in that specific instance, right? Like, there's going to be other instances where, like, maybe you're not, maybe, like, maybe you're an enchanter, right? And then the whole context is different. But in that, in that instance of the game, you are the only tank on your team. You got Rumble, Top Lane, Lilia, Jungle, and then you got your two carries. He needs to just tank that ultimate and, and, and just be the sacrifice. That's your job in that situation. It's obviously that kind of human instinct that you don't want to be the guy that dies or gets caught out, so you're going to try to do what you can to run away. But you need to be able to realize that, hey, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm Rel. I'm a tank. There's a chance I can just tank this and live. If not, I can even, at the very least, just tank it and buffer your W to, to jump away as you get hit by it. So you're in the air for some of the duration of the Maokai ult, and I think then you'll probably have a good chance of being able to just run away. But it's it's just stuff like that where you're like, man, like this team just has like no real semblance of how to actually play together at the crucial moments and, and win a game. And then you had, you had the very final play at the end where I liked the idea that they did where Bo got picked mid by Hilly, and then they... I believe Vitality got the Baron, they based, took the Hex Portal down to their blue side. I liked the idea that KC did to camp the blue the blue buff bush and wait for them to come in and see if you can get a pick or two and surprise them. But they go in too early, Hilly is able to, to kite back and dash back, and then Karzy comes in and just deletes like Saken and Cabochard and like two auto attacks and an E pullback of, of his feathers on Zaya. And it's just like, okay, like, at least there I saw an idea, but there's no execution whatsoever again. So it, it really is just different situations for this team in each different instance that goes wrong. And sometimes it's Bo, and sometimes it's Cabochard, and sometimes it's Saken, and, and then a lot of the times I think it's Targamus. But it's like, like it's like every single person has, has multiple instances you can point at and be like, like, hey... Like that's you can't can't be doing that. You can't be doing that. You got you gotta tank that, you gotta you gotta dash there, you gotta be there on time, whatever it is. And it's very disappointing to watch because 
the model is obviously far from perfect, but especially in, in that specific game, he did a great job putting them in the position to succeed. And and that's gonna and that's why I think that game is gonna be the catalyst as to why, you know, fans are gonna be super unhappy. You know, obviously the content creators and the the broadcasters and stuff around the around the team, you know, commentating and stuff are obviously very surprised. It's cause that that is a a, a, a textbook example of you being put in the perfect situation to win your your game and all you have to do is just not royally screw it up. And they found multiple instances of royally screwing it up to lose that game. Yeah, and for my LVP nomination of the week, it really could be anyone on this team just because of how catastrophically they've been crumbling. But I have to give it to Targamas here, where while the rest of his team does make consistent mistakes, this guy actively looks like a win trader that's playing for the other team. Like, just to name a few moments of his griefing. That Maokai ult... You know, to his credit, buffering the uh, the rel jump is the correct move to kind of get himself set up and hopefully in a better position to take the coming fight after that Maokai ult. But just the timing is wrong, the angle is wrong since he get makes Bo take it, but also he himself gets hit by it anyway. So that really didn't help. Well, but that's the thing, though. He didn't. He didn't actually buffer it, right? Like that—that's what he should have done. Like again, like probably probably could have done a couple things there. But one of the things he definitely could have done is at least buffered it so that it hits him as he's jumping away. Like I said, and then when you're in midair, you're taking off like whatever, like maybe like half a second or a second off of the root duration. Then maybe exactly. you can you can get away. He he didn't even try to buffer it. He he just W'd back and was running away, scared. Like he didn't he didn't want to get hit by it at all. And then yeah, of course the icing on the cake was that he still did get hit by behind Bo because Rel's hitbox is so huge that she can still tank it from being behind two different champions. Yeah. And then outside of that, in that same vitality game, he's on Rel. He wanders deep into the jungle with no vision, gets caught out and dies. Um, on multiple instances, he engaged way ahead of his team. They're unable to follow up. He dies because he's way too far forward. There was a game where he played Ash, and I don't think he landed a single arrow. Some of them were at close range, and he still couldn't land them. So, you know, it's just very consistent that he's making more mistakes than correct plays. And I think it would not surprise me in the slightest that, considering K-Corp are almost guaranteed at this point to be eliminated, that he's probably going to be the first to go. And hopefully someone like Trimby might get signed in to bring a bring a fresh look to this team because he's just not been it yeah and for and for targamus like i i don't remember exactly exactly at least he's not my my, my main region but i i believe g2 was like his first real like lec level appearance but there was you know good hype from him coming before then like he he seemed to be a player that had like some decent name recognition and people were looking forward to seeing him play again and especially on as good a team as g2 um but and, and and even with G two, it's not like he was killing it or anything. Kind of the same story with Flockhead. They weren't they weren't like horrible, but they weren't the best in the league. And when you're a team like G two, that's kind of what you're aiming for is the best in the league. So it made sense why both of those guys ended up having to go. But like the 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 fall from from grace or the fall from the expectations, whatever you want to call it, has been really really quick for him. I think from getting off of G two. And then I don't remember exactly what he did in between G2 and stuff. I assume he was in some ERLs and then found his way onto K-Corp and now he's here. And it, it's just su such a, a tragic fall so quickly from someone who did have, you know, some some 
good expectations coming in on him, and he just hasn't been able to live up to them at all. Yeah, and to to kind of go through the history here, since you brought it up, he actually did show up in the LEC before in 2017 on Giants, back when they were in the league. They were a very underwhelming team, and he felt he didn't deliver well enough. Yeah, I, I remember the name Giants, but I did not remember that he, he was on that team. <laughs> yeah, and he, he didn't perform all that great there. He then went to G2, and that was, of course, his best time. He won a split and then came second after that. Uh, but it was clear enough that their bot side was the weakest link in that that year. It wasn't sure whether it was Flockett or him. I guess it was him. Then he played for Excel. Wasn't great at all. They went 10th. Now he's here with KC, and they're about to go 10th again. So really just not a not a good storyline but even for upset too like he's been on a lot of 10th place teams in his time too now maybe we'll see if k-corp actually does finish 10th or not but the vitality roster boomed last year i think there's another instance cause i remember seeing people tweet about it uh, on twitter that he was on a, another really bad team at some point before and now k-corp too so he is I, I i do think he is a good adc he obviously hasn't been playing his best recently i think even going back to that summer roster of vitality it wasn't that great but you know, he, he is, you know, generally regarded as a really good ADC, so it's just so funny that he ends up on these these bad teams all the time, too, even though this year his play still has had much more room, I think, for critique than in, in past times. Yeah, and then flipping it onto the better side of things, the MVP nomination of the week, I think there's been plenty of valid contenders. You know, a lot of teams have been doing well, but I think looking at just these two weeks in isolation, I think I got to pick BDS Lebrov. You know, they're they're up in there in first place. And I mentioned that it is a very much team effort. All five of them are contributing. But I think that he's been a huge factor where he's been very much relevant in the bot lane. He's been pulling off some great roams in team fights, especially on those two games this past weekend on Blitzcrank. I think he's had countless game changing hooks, very good engages. And he's got to be my pick as the guy that's kind of stood out and, and brought a lot of the the success that his team has been seeing so far. That's a good pick. I think I, I, I don't have anything to, to say against it. I think for me, I, I would probably lean with like either of Niski or Isma. I know obviously they're they're four and two, tied for that that second best record. But I, I think SK really has been a really good surprise because I I remember even watching some other you know, podcasts and creators ranking these teams, and, you know, SK was kind of a little bit, they were still in that upper half, but people weren't exactly sure where to place them, kind of like similar sentiments around, you know, how good will Isma be, you know, assuming that he would be at least probably decent because of Niski. So I, I would give it probably to, to one of them, just because they really have impressed uh, for the most part. Um, they, had, they, had, they had one game that they got stomped, and I can't remember the team, um, but for the most part, it's been really good. I've been really impressed with both of them, as I've talked about already uh, enough before. So I, I'd give it to one of them. If I had to pick one, I'd, I'll give it to, to Isma just because he is the rookie. Um, and he has looked really solid as, as uh, a good chunk of those movie star guys uh, on Mad Lions have as well. Yeah, and that's a great jumping off point into a new segment we're going to be putting in, which we're calling Rookie Watch. And I'm going to do a quick rapid fire here of some of my favorites for the LEC. And then I'll let you, of course, talk your piece, Steve, as well. We've got BDS Ice. Him over Crowney, as we've mentioned, didn't seem super necessary, but I think he's very much stepped into his role well. He's not super flashy, but I think it's impressive. He's come out of every single lane phase ahead, including that loss to G2. 
where out of every ADC in the league, he's the highest KDA, the highest golden XP diff at 10 minutes. So good performance out of him as, as much as it isn't flashy. We've also got Giants X Jackies, where, you know, the team has been struggling a little bit and he's not been perfect. But I think for his debut game, he's made a very big statement. Uh, in that very first game, he had a five-man Nico alt multiple times, especially in that last uh, t team fight where he TP'd from behind, got a Nico alt, that won them the game. Then on Mad Lions, you know, they're almost all rookies and they've looked pretty solid at 3-3 three and three record. But I think Merwin is my nomination as the most standout from that team where he's ha he has a very diverse champ pool both historically and in the LEC so far. And I think a very key plus for him is that he's got a nose for creative flanks, I'd say, where sure, they don't work every time. There was that one kind of scuffed cannon attempt, but when they work, they really work. So huge credit to him for that. And then last but certainly not least, I think my favorite rookie so far is, as you mentioned, SK Isma. I put a lot of faith into the SK formula that was very much contingent on Isma, whether he's able to come into the LEC as a good player, and I think he's very much exceeded those expectations. Just from day one, he's been a fantastic pairing with Niski. In an interview, he confirmed that Niski's the guy that's kind of leading him, helping him find his way and, and get settled in. I think that his Nocturne game was the one where he wasn't super impa impactful, but otherwise he's been very big in team fights. His rel has been a, a huge pick for him, and I think he's been probably the best rookie as of so far in the league. And and as for my rookies, I, I was really going to say Isma again. Obviously, I, I was giving him uh, some some good props with Niski for the MVP consideration. And then I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to Supa just because he got the pentakill, right? That's super fun. It, it's more of just an accolade uh, thing in that sense. He definitely has had uh, some ups and downs throughout this uh, first couple of weeks in the LEC. But getting the pentakill is super cool. It was a, it was a, a great moment to, to actually see happen. So I'm going to give him a, a, a nod for that as well with, with the pentakill. Can't overlook that for sure. And then looking ahead, just before we jump into the LCS segment, we've got to, of course, discuss the upcoming matches. And as much as I could give the match of the week to contenders like BDS versus Heretics, you know, first versus tied for second, or that long-awaited G2 versus Fnatic rematch coming out of the end of last year as the top two teams, both of those I'm sure will deliver as exciting matchups. But for some reason, I'm really looking forward to that Rogue vs. K-Corp game. You know, Battle of the Bottom 2, they've got very different, awful styles. Uh, Rogue is that no proactivity, slowly bleed out and eventually roll over play style, whereas KC is fairly good in the early stages to give them credit, but then somewhere along the way, they always seem to find a way to throw it away. And no matter how on the, the game looks, they will find a way to int it and give the other team the win. So it, it could really go either way. I think both of the teams deserve to be at the bottom based on how they've been performing so far. And notwithstanding one of these teams suddenly waking up, I think I'm going to give it to Rogue, where we've seen them catch the ints that G2 is handing them in their game. And I think that they'll probably be able to do that against K-Corp as well, assuming K-Corp continues that general sort of play style. 
The match that I'm gonna give a nod for, I, I think, is actually gonna be uh, is coming completely out of nowhere. As I, as I'm, I've been looking over the schedule now while you were talking as well, I'm gonna give it to the the Giant X and Rogue game on Monday, because the way that I think this schedule is gonna be playing out, GX plays G2 on Saturday. That should be a loss. K Corp versus Rogue is gonna happen right after that. I'm, I'm gonna assume for this instance that K Corp is gonna lose, so Rogue will be tied with Giant X at two and five. GX versus Mad Lions on Sunday will be interesting in that matchup because those teams are pretty close together in the standings. But again, just for the sake of this, I'll say Mad Lions win, and then BDS versus Rogue. Rogue should lose to BDS, you would expect. So that actually could put together a very interesting matchup for that final spot in the, uh, I guess, technically final spot for the playoffs going into the next stage of the winter split between Giant X and Rogue, assuming that it ends up falling in that way where it is between those two teams. Obviously, there's some other stuff that can happen with Vitality and Mad. Maybe they end up, uh, you know, things, things happen a little bit uh, differently, but there, it could be a real chance that Giant X and Rogue are duking it out for that final spot on... Uh, Monday with the the second game on Monday so keep an eye out for that one as well if those games pan out the way that I think they will leading up to that point I think the only wrench to that plan is that you know G2 has lost to Rogue and Vitality I'm honestly willing to put money on it that G2 is going to find a way to scuff the game against Giant X so yeah it, it can happen yeah and I I think that that'll alone kind of screw with things but it is a good call out that assuming you know the teams still have their fate in their hands the fact that that is the last matchup on Monday will be interesting to see who prevents elimination. But yeah, I'm going to hand the reins off to you now, Steve, and we're going to jump to the other side of the pond with the LCS. Let's do it. Yep, now it's time to finally dive into the LCS again. Not quite as exciting, not as much action, not as much games going on as the LEC but there has been one, I would say, really uh, kind of big surprise going on so far. You're not going to find at the top of the table Cloud9 and FlyQuest tied at 2-0 to start their seasons. But 100 Thieves in the debut game for the season did actually pull up uh, a surprising win, I would say, over Team Liquid to earn them that opening win. And they finished 1-1, losing to C9. In their second game, Dignitas, NRG, and Team Liquid round out the remaining 1-1 teams. And then you have Immortals and Shopify Rebellion sitting tied for last at 0 and 2. So now before I even get into the same kind of rundown that Blue was giving us, there was actually a change to the Shopify Rebellion roster that I was I was not made aware of until uh, seeing it more recently uh, building up into the games that started happening on Saturday, and that was that Bevoy was not able to make it into North America for the games. They ended up actually starting Wild Turtle in AD carry for this first week. We'll see if it becomes a more long-term issue. As of now, I haven't heard anything else from anyone involved at the LCS saying like on social media or anything like that B-Boy will be back or not. So we'll just kind of have to play that by ear. I will say though that I was very much impressed by Wild Turtle stepping in and playing with Zazel. I think that in both of Shopify Rebellion's games that he not only, I think, was the best player on the team, but he was also probably the most proactive player on the team in terms of, like, really looking uh, for aggressive moves and fights and trying to find uh, kills and angles for opportunity to find a good aggressive trade. He was playing Lucian in both games, 
and he was very much enabled by Zazel, his support usually playing Enchanters. I know one game was Nami, I don't remember the ex exact pairing up for the second game off the top of my head, but Turtle was really doing well. He really tried his best to kind of put the team on his back at some points and, and like I said, be proactive, try to find those uh, weird angles that you, you kind of see the Lucian dashing in front of his team. You're like, oh, I don't really know if you should be doing that, but you kind of looked at the context of the drafts uh, that both teams ended up having in those games, and it was just like, yeah, Shopify Rebellion don't really have much of a chance. They were down in those games as well. So I give, I do give a lot of credit and respect to Turtle for how aggressive he was, for having that mindset of like, hey, you know, I might not be playing for much longer. I didn't really expect to be playing anyways. I'm kind of just on here filling in for now. So it was an admirable performance uh, for him on my part. So I want to give a shout out to Turtle for that. Um, and hopefully we will, we will see Bevoy here soon as he was supposed to be the projected starter. But I want to give Turtle his props uh, before we dive into that. And I guess you could kind of even say that he was my good surprise, along with, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, 100 Thieves beating Team Liquid in that debut game. It was a really shocking uh, performance from Team Liquid, specifically APA, who normally he doesn't really have a ton of really into games like that, but he was caught out a ton. Uh, he, he was even playing his signature champion Ziggs that you would think that, you know, it's a really good comfort kind of pick for him. But he ended up finishing 2-6-3 and three on the game. As I said, he was caught out a ton. He did, you know, have some, some moments where he got some good burst damage off with his ult in some certain fights, but that's just kind of how it's going to happen with Ziggs. At some point, you're kind of just going to walk into a nice ult and, and get some good damage off, but didn't really end up amounting to anything. Umti as well in that game was not super impressive. He was much better in the second game that Team Liquid played. But in that first one, it was a bit slow. Even Jan, who had a decent scoreline for the game, he missed a lot of ultimate shots. He missed a few routes. He wasn't necessarily the reason that Tia ended up losing that game. But it was far from a great performance from him, uh, even uh, in the lane as well, where CoreJJ really kind of did a little bit more of the heavy lifting for Jan in the lane. In terms of a real overall bad surprise, though, there wasn't really a... a definitive one in terms of the gameplay so I ended up going a little bit off script with that and I think the bad surprise for me for the LCS was like the HUD like com especially comparing it to the LEC and seeing like the LEC having like the gold differentials for each uh lane matchup uh, as the default view and they were super on time with like having the baron power plays up and they would always have the plate gold show right at 14 minutes as soon as they went down the lcs rarely showed gold differentials for the players they never really showed them that 14 minutes when you would really kind of like to see them to see like you know explicitly who has the advantage you can get that rough idea by looking at the items but unless they actually you know, show that that graph with the actual numbers on it. You don't know how much money a, a player is sitting on just in their inventory versus how much they have, have spent already. So I really would have liked to have seen that stuff be utilized more. They have it. They just didn't really use it a lot. They they rarely ever show, showed even the, the plate gold, which I don't get either. It's like there were a couple of games where they did, and then I'm waiting for it to happen in most of the other games, and I'm just like waiting there, and it goes to like 14 minutes, 14 and a half minutes, 15 minutes. And, and they just don't show it. So I, I think LCS definitely got production gapped uh, this, this week. Hopefully they can kind of iron that out and, and get that information back on the screen. Even, even for like the C9 game, they didn't show the Baron power play that C9 had. They did end up showing it in the later games. So I don't know if it was just like a mistake for that one specific game. But LCS 
very bad surprise on the production and i know lcs you know gets memed on for the the production quality and stuff like that before but this was actually like surprisingly bad and it, it made watching the the broadcast and like trying to like take notes on these games a lot less fun and definitely a lot less easier than doing it for the lec so get it get it together mark z I think to kind of come to the LCS's uh, defense here is that the LEC, while they might have better information, as you kind of pointed out, I think that the LCS did a better job in terms of consistency. Like they didn't have the, the replays mess up as much as the LEC did. They didn't have as many pauses this game to kind of figure out technical difficulties. And uh, the, the, the LCS had lag pauses. The C9, the C9 NRG game, the pause lasted longer than the actual game itself did. Now, d- different issues, but the, L- the LCS was dealing with lag, probably network issues, and they had they had a few pauses. That that C9 NRG one was brutal. But they were, I, I think that apart from that one, I think they've done a, a more consistent job, and the LEC is kind of prominent as well for for pauses happening everywhere but i think the main feature of the lcs hud that i would like to carry over into the lec is two-pointed where number one they in the early game have the multi-lane view that's something that i haven't seen in any other region not just the lec i don't think any other region has been adapting that and i think the lcs is huge for for bringing that to kind of innovation and as well i think as much as they don't have the individual gold I think what's really valuable is that in the top half, they will very clearly show at all times exactly what the gold difference is and who has the gold advantage, like team-wise. So that is one feature that I wish we were, we'd have on the LEC side. Yeah, the, the, the camera setup I, I do like a lot too. That, 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 that is a good point to bring up for a positive for the LCS because that, that triple lane view really is nice. I feel like they probably could even utilize it more than they do because a lot of the times, you know, you're just watching, you know, if you're just watching the jungler clear like their camps or whatever, it's like there's not a ton of, of fun in that. There is some information like if you're a real serious like analyst you can get, you know, from watching the broadcast view of that and seeing how they clear you know, but if you're watching the lanes, like, like, why not just have that be the, the default view in all honesty? Like, it, it it shrinks it down a bit, but you can just focus on the one lane if there's going to be the jungler coming or if someone's roaming into that lane. But I, I wouldn't mind actually keeping that as the default and just having that little bit more zoomed in view. But you can see exactly what everyone is doing, where they're playing, you know, how they're, they might be trying to, like, maybe set up a, a gank or a dive or whatever it might have you. So I think that would actually be an even better innovation that they could actually use more of, but good on you for pointing that out, because that is definitely a, a positive for uh, the production team and stuff like that. But again, Mark Z, let, 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 let's step it up, okay? You're not a content creator anymore. <laughs> so going in now to the MVPs and LVPs, I think that the obvious uh, one for the LVP for me, there wasn't really a super clear-cut one, but I went with Fake God just because he really didn't get to do anything in his games, and it's kind of harsh that I'm putting it on him, I do think, because albeit in both games he played uh, against FlyQuest and against Team Liquid, he went 1-3-0 in both games, but he was kind of just on, like, Udyr marking duty. He played against Udyr top lane in both of those games. Uh, In the FlyQuest game, he was on Aatrox, and in basically every single major fight that happened, he got Poppy ulted out of there, and and he couldn't get back in there in time to do anything. So 
you know, that game is like, okay, right? Like, maybe you can, like, do something to, like, try to get yourself in a better spot to not get poppy ulted. Because both of those times that it happened, he was the only guy that got knocked out of the fight. So that, that's why I'm putting it on him. It's like, you got to try to dodge it, dash it, flash it. I don't know. Do, do, do something, though, because you literally didn't get to do anything. And then in the Team Liquid game, again, finished 1-3-0. Two of his deaths were more just like he got dove by like two-man, two three-man dives under his tower. You know, he tried his best to do what he could, but just wasn't really going to be happening in some of those situations. Uh, and then, again, even in the impact, at least he wasn't against uh, a poppy this game, so he couldn't get ulted away. But there just wasn't really any room for him to do anything against Bwipo Zudir, who was doing a different kind of build. He wasn't going the, the more tanky route that Impact was doing. He ended up building Triforce, and then I think he went into tank. But the Triforce Udir on, on Bwipo was very interesting to watch because it is a different playstyle. Generally, you do see that full tank Udir, or maybe you see like a Leandris or a Riftmaker into the tank Udir. But Bwipo went Triforce, and he was maxing, like, every single stance, like, evenly. They showed it at one point in the broadcast. I think it was Jat that commented on it. He was going, like, 4 in Q, 3 in W, 3 in E, and then 4 in, in R at that point in time that we actually got to see it. So he was just kind of getting bodied by Bwipo in that sense with that kind of a different build. And then uh, when he wasn't in the team fights with them, he again, he was just he's just kind of following the Udyr around the map and making sure he doesn't split push the game to death either so again maybe it's a little bit harsh but you know tr tr try to do something to not get poppy ulted in every single major fight that happened and then you know if you're stuck on Udyr duty you're stuck on Udyr duty but even then like they were able to find impacts in the fights whether it was just like you know bullying fake god or they did find a way in and then at that point, Fake God just was, you know, reacting to the play, so he couldn't really get in in time to be able to find anything of import. So 1-3-0 in both of those games was brutal. My MVP I gave to Jojo Pyun uh, on C9. There was definitely, you know, some good candidates across uh, a few teams. I just went with the simple one with Jojo Pyun, his first couple of games on Cloud9. The Azir game was good. It wasn't super special. He had a nice play early on where he kind of ulted Palafox off of the Talia ult as he was trying to collapse towards Blabber getting run down in the river for a kill. That was a nice little play. But he absolutely destroyed 100 Thieves on Akali. He just had multiple flashy plays of, of you know, dashing in with his ult, going back with the E, following it back in, Q ulting and just deleting like two or three people in, in, in a couple of fights. And it's like 100 Thieves had no chance in that game. A lot of C9 was, was doing good, obviously. They 2-0'd. They, they it was a very dominant 2-0 week for them. But JoJo, especially in that Akali game, really stood out. He was super flashy, made those, those highlight reel plays that you would like to see out of a signing like that, and was a big benefit for C9 because Berserker didn't have to do a ton in some of those games. And that's really good as a C9 fan. If Berserker can kind of play under the radar a bit and have someone else be able to step up in the mid lane and carry those games, you know, whereas someone like MS did that, like, very briefly at the beginning, but couldn't do it later at all. Jensen wasn't really that uh, kind of guy at that point when he was there and Diplex in that one split he was playing was never really taking over a game. It was great to see JoJo come in, comfortably dominate two games, and have such a great performance on that Akali to really take over uh, on 100 Thieves in that game. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you in MVP and JoJo. The one play that sticks out to my mind, and 
it's been replaying over in my head multiple times is around Baron Pit where there's three members of 100 Thieves clumped up in a bush. He jumps in where I thought there wasn't even an angle for him to jump in. I thought he would just get CC'd and kind of get blown up there, but he manages to chain his abilities in such a way that he uses the R2 cast on Akali and instantly scoops up a triple kill that just deletes the fight there. So that that play was huge. Yeah, that was the play where I, I, I believe Quid was on yeah, Quid was on Nico and he was he was charging his ult, but Berserker was able to land the change of corruption on him so he couldn't like I'd assume he was probably looking for a flash in because the, a couple of C9 players like Fudge and Berserker and maybe even Vulcan, if I remember right, they were in like just a uh, just enough space that with with the the, the range of the of the Nico ultimate, it probably could have clipped like all three of those guys at the very edge of it. But Berserker got the ult onto Quid, so he couldn't do anything. He just kind of ulted in place, and it only hit Fudge. And then that's when Jojo took the opportunity, Eden got the whole combo off, and just absolutely deleted everyone in there. And then on the LVP side, I think that it, although Fake God is a good nomination, I personally would give it to Immortal's Mask. You know, I'm I'm gonna rag on him a little bit more just because he is an import, and if a team is going to import a player, I think the level of of expectations should be a little higher since the team supposedly sees something in him that they didn't see in local talent. But this guy kind of bombed out on the week. Uh, he had a quirky game where he went. Uh, two three and zero, and then he had a uh, a zero game where he went oh seven and eight. So you know a, a stat line that really wasn't super great. I don't think he he performed great in the lane phase. I don't think he performed great in the later halves of the game. So you know again, considering that he is an import that should have brought some sort of new spark, he I think was more of a liability than anything else, and and so that's why he's my nomination. Yeah, and he was definitely one that that I was considering too, and I, I might have been a little bit harsh for 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 giving it to Fate God, but I, I just remember watching those Shopify Rebellion games, and as I mentioned at the beginning, talking about Turtle, just seeing him do whatever he possibly could to try and find any advantage in a fight or before a fight would break out, and then just watching literally everyone else around him just like not be capable of doing anything. It was just like man, like. Like he 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 really d deserved better from the the top jungle and mid that he had. Zazel, like I said, he was usually around him, so like you know he's buffing him up on Nami, giving him some ability, you know, to to move around a little bit. But yeah, that's why that's that's why I gave it to Fake God. I think probably more just because of how impressed I was with Turtle and how disappointed I was with basically everyone else on Shopify Rebellion. Yeah, it puts that into perspective for sure. Yeah. So then I will do a, a a quick rookie rundown as well. There were a few rookies to, to talk about. The most notable one, arguably, based off of just like uh, the history of this person being hyped up, was General Sniper. Sniper for 100 Thieves in the top lane. He ended up playing his signature pick, Riven, in the top lane against uh, Impact, who I believe was on Udyr again uh, in that game. And the it was, it was a decent performance. The lane wasn't great. I think he did get like a slight... Uh, CS advantage in it, but it was really his decision making in that game that kind of cost him uh, a decent performance. There were, at the very least, a couple of instances where he just got in way too aggressive, and you know sometimes he there was this one play in mid lane where he just flashed in onto core, and I believe it was Jan 
Oh no, it was Core and APA because Jan killed him after it. Where he was trying to find an angle as Hundred Thieves were losing a fight, and he just he he comboed in, flashed in, and got the stun off, but he didn't have the the time to get the ultimate off because Jan just fourth shotted him to death. And he's like, okay, right? Like you probably didn't have to do that. Um, I, I respected the angle and and see, trying to find an opportunity like that because as as a player. Uh, like him in the top lane, who is, you know, very aggressive, carry champion, ribbon one trick, you know, it's like, those are the kind of angles that you, you, you look for when you're playing solo queue, but you're not going to be able to get away with things like that uh, in pro play very often. And the second game he played was against C9, so that game, you know, wasn't a great game for 100 Thieves all around the board. Um, Sniper was on Gwen that game, and it wasn't really like it was a standout bad performance or, or anything, he was just not, he never really got a chance to do a lot. The Unfortunately, the most notable things for him were that he did miss a couple of Gwen ultimate charges that cost him and the team a couple of kills. Would they have been teamfight altering kills? I don't really know, but, you know, still, it's, it's little mechanical stuff like that where in the same vein as being a Riven one trick who you'd assume that his mechanics must be pretty good. He has good you know, composure and ha must be able to, you know, time things right and figure out where people are going to want to go and move around. He wasn't really able to do that with the, with the Gwen ultimates. And like I said, cost the team a couple of kills. Did it really matter in the grand scheme of things? Who knows? But it just wasn't a great debut for him. He was okay. Had some tough matchups. We'll see how he does as the season goes on. Also on his team was a rookie, Meech. He ended up playing Senna and Seraphine for his two games, which I found interesting because in the preview for him that we did, he did not play a lot of those champions last year uh, in the NACL. So I thought it was kind of weird to, to put him on, on Senna and, and Seraphine for his, his debut two games. The Seraphine game was fine. You know, you're, you're playing Seraphine. So it's like, as, as long as you don't die a lot and you can scale up and be annoying with your ultimate and your shields, you're going to be doing okay. And, and to his credit, he didn't die that game. So it, it was a good game uh, for him, even though it wasn't anything impressive. You know, you're, it, it, it's Seraphine bot. And then the Senna game was a fasting Senna game. Um, I, I believe they actually did do the double support item. Uh, I don't remember 100% off the top of my head. But again, you know, it, it, it's Senna, so you're not really, you know, doing that same kind of farming style, even if you are kind of doing the double support item thing. You're, you're, you're letting the, the Tom Kench or the Nautilus, uh, whoever, whoever your, your, your pairing is going to be getting the farm. And it just wasn't really anything impressive. You didn't really get a lot of opportunity to shine. It, it was just okay from him. Again, it wasn't like he was egregiously bad. He did have one really bad death in that C9 game um, where C9 were invading River in the bot lane jungle. And he was, like, kind of just, like, trying to contest them, I guess, like, with Blabber and Vulcan there. And Vulcan was on Karma, and he just rooted Meech and just bursted him with his Q and Ignite and auto attacks. And then Blabber just W'd him from the, the bot lane bush, and he died. It's like, okay, like, he def definitely didn't need to do that. Didn't need to put yourself in that spot, but he did. So some little stuff like that that'll, that'll get ironed out, hopefully, as time goes on. Um, so the, the Hundred Thieves rookies weren't uh, super impressive. It really was Quid uh, and River in that first game especially who did really good jobs for them. Masu, again, was just kind of decent enough for FlyQuest. The the second game that he played where he was on Jin really surprised me because he missed like a surprising amount of just like simple roots. Like it, it would be a rooted target already or a stunned target. And it's like Riot got him with the Z-axis or something like that that they have for like the terrain elevation. 
because he, he just was missing roots on stationary targets and that and that was really really weird because that, that stuff you'd, ex you'd expect out of like us and like our solo queue games or whatever you know you're not expecting that out of pro players so that was a little bit unfortunate for him kind of in the same vein though as sniper and meech none of these guys really stood out for great reasons they were generally speaking pretty fine maybe some bad deaths here and there definitely some things to work on masu in the game versus shopify rebellion he got solo killed by turtle in in part of that praise for him the aggression that turtle found he found a really nice solo kill on him in the mid lane um so positioning stuff to work on you know again decision making kind of a similar theme for all of these guys and then blue highlighted it with mask in the lvp uh yeah he wasn't that great yeah i think that uh the call out where meech didn't have the the two flashiest games because he was on that Senna seraphine pick i think that's very much a function of the meta unfortunately and to the lcs's credit since they're going to be running on live patches uh the the fact that this upcoming week they're hopefully going to be on a, a better suited patch where the double support item isn't a thing anymore we'll see more of what he can really do and then i think that my my kind of rookie the the one that i give the most credit to is going to be sniper just because he had the guts to bring out that riven pick it's very much not meta but he he had the guts to pull it out play it against impact who's you know one of these very very stable players that isn't going to take any crap from anybody so the fact that he was able to pull off a win, even though the lane phase wasn't all that great, on a pick that's that's really lay, low priority is pretty good. So he's he's going to be my pick, and otherwise, it you know first week there we haven't seen everything there is to see yet. There's going to be more, uh, but so far I think Sniper has put on a pretty good performance so far. And then last but not least for the LCS will be the upcoming match of the week. And with only eight teams, there's not always going to maybe be a great match to look forward to. But at least for this week, there is one to look forward to on Sunday. It's going to be between two of what should be the title contenders we would anticipate. NRG versus FlyQuest. FlyQuest, as I mentioned at the beginning... 2-0 to start the season, having played a couple of the, the easier teams, though, beating up on Shopify Rebellion as well as Immortals. And then NRG 1-1 took a beating at the hands of Cloud9, but had a, generally speaking, much better showing against Dignitas, albeit they did have one scary moment in there where Dove found a quadra kill on Azir on a nice TP flank. And that took the gold lead down from NRG from about like maybe it was like 8,000 at the time. Dignitas took that into bear and they cut it down to maybe like 3,500, but it was still felt like NRG was relatively speaking well in control of the game and they did end up taking it. So should be a fun matchup there in terms of just the anticipation for what it should mean for these two teams going into the playoffs uh, a good ways away from now. At this point, in the season my gut probably would tell me to go for nrg just because of generally speaking how we've talked about nrg for a while now the team synergy the, the kind of that sum of the or the whole is greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing the the loss to c9 was pretty bad though 
it, it was worse than I was expecting it to be, even though I, I would have expected C9 to win. Whereas FlyQuest, again, 2-0, but they played some of the easier competition in the league, albeit, again, they have looked very dominant in doing so. So it's going to kind of be a toss-up for me. I'm going to, I think I'm going to do what I did in the in the preseason predictions and the power rankings where I'm going to give NRG the benefit of the doubt for now. I'm going to predict NRG to beat FlyQuest. We'll see if that team cohesion can make a big difference for them against a team that, again, should still be near the top fighting for a title, but aren't most likely on that same tier as Cloud9. Nomasu didn't have uh, a super impressive debut. Busio was fine. So if there is going to be a point for NRG to be able to exploit, it could be with FBI and Huhi taking over the lane against Masu and Busio. FBI has some of those interesting picks. He likes to play the Senna. We'll see if they do Senna Tom Kench something interesting or if they put FBI on a, on a more traditional situation where he can take over the game a bit more easily if they really do want to kind of focus down through that bot lane. So one game that I've got my eye on is going to be NRG versus 100 Thieves on Saturday, just because I think considering 100 Thieves were able to beat TL and we both had TL higher in the power rankings, I think this will be a really good test for 100 Thieves to see just how good they can be, whether they can break into that upper echelon and and start becoming a team that's making a case for themselves as a potential title contender, if not at least top half team. But in terms of the energy FlyQuest game, which I would agree has just that little bit more hype, I think I'm going to give the edge to FlyQuest, both because, of course, I've got them higher in the power rankings, but also because I think that the the formula they have there, you know, the Team EU, I've got a root for them, and I, I think that they're going to perhaps surprise and, and start showing why I I believe they're top two and you believe they're top three. And and the 100 Thieves NRG game is a, is a good pick, as you mentioned. It will be a good kind of like benchmark game for 100 Thieves, beating Team Liquid, who we don't necessarily think are necessarily going to be in title contention, but still a good team, upper half team. It was a surprise for 100 Thieves to win that game. Unsurprisingly, they got stomped by C9, who are the favorites to win it all. So getting NRG, which is, you know, widely regarded in that, like, second best, third best team in the region range, it will be a, a good test for them because NRG is a team where they get along really well. They have a ton of cohesion and synergy. 100 Thieves are a brand new team with, you know, a lot of young players that are going to have to get used to each other. We've talked about, you know, maybe if there's going to be issues with playing weak side who's not gonna be able to carry you know certain points in the game someone's gonna have to take a back seat so there are gonna be you know that kind of interesting dynamic of a really solid team that gets along well they've been together for a full year fbi and who he have played on multiple teams together against this brand new roster with a bunch of rookies or at the very least uh three rookies and then quid who's here for his second year and then river as a veteran jungler can they you know mesh together for a game that's going to be a good benchmark for them against a team where nrg not the most high skill cap team in the league in terms of the skill level of the individual players whereas you know maybe someone like sniper has a good opportunity to pop off against someone like dokla who's just you know he, he he's good but he's not going to be wowing you with his mechanics and lane or anything like that. He's much more of a role player. So 
that'll be an interesting matchup, I think, to watch in that one as well. If you do really want to keep an eye on that one as well, Sniper versus Dokla could definitely be that kind of matchup where if you want to make a name for yourself, you know, that would be a, a decent time to do it because a good NRG is a good team with some, generally speaking, and probably viewed as weaker individual players. See if those mechanics can carry Sniper through that game and through the lane phase. So with that all being said, that will wrap up the LCS discussion. There is going to be a lot more of the LCS to come through, as I've talked about, in the future weeks as we get more ramped up to playoffs. But I think we got some good stuff covered there. The LEC is going to be exciting going into next week, most definitely, with two teams going to be eliminated. Thank you all for uh, listening and, and uh, talking with us. And Blue, you can take us out. Well, just like always, big thanks goes out to all of you for sticking around till the end and continuing to support us here on the Western Focus podcast. You know the drill by now if you've been around. Drop us a follow here on Spotify so you don't miss the coming episodes. You know, now that we're back to the weekly schedule uh, where both leagues are on, you can expect an episode next week, the week after that, and so on. And then... If you enjoyed as well, a five-star rating would go a long way in getting us out there and allowing more people to come discover us. And also drop us a follow on Twitter at NoRival underscore esports for all other esports-related banger content. Next week is going to be week three of the LEC as well as week two of the LCS. You don't want to miss out. See you then.